Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. So this is from Proverbs. It says, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich man has many friends. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, and like vinegar on soda. This is the word of the Lord. Peace be with you. Let me, uh, let's just have, take a moment just to pray over this, and that way we can kind of prepare our minds and our hearts as we unpack it this morning. Uh, Father, Father God, we are thankful this morning that we were able to make it in here and um, to breathe and to shake hands, to sing, um, and to talk with our neighbors and our friends, for those that weren't able to make it, Father, um, bless them and our hearts go out to them wherever they are. And I ask by your spirit that you give us open ears and open hearts to receive good news and um, give me the strength and the the clarity of mind uh, and the kindness uh, to present good news to um, my friends and my neighbors and my brothers and my sisters that are here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity and bless our time. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, There's a house not too far from here actually. Um, It's just, I love this house. It's my favorite house in town. Um, It is a stunning example of architecture. Any architecture fans in the room? Yeah, maybe. Nobody wants to really admit that because it feels super nerdy. I bet you. I bet if I said, "Do you watch HGTV?" You would. A bunch of hands would get raised. This house in town, like I said, I, I drive by it. I walk by it sometimes, and I always stop and stare at it. Um, I do not know who lives there. So if I find out one of you lives there, um, I'm going to manipulate a way to find get to, to go inside. And um, I just love the house, and it's just a stunning example and a beautiful example of what architects and builders can do. I just am amazed by it. Um, now, the funny thing is, here's the funny thing. I've been in the house before as a kid, quite a few times, actually. And I actually knew the kid because uh, I grew up here, for those of you that don't know. And uh, I, so I knew the kid that lived there, as, you know, and so I would occasionally go over there and, and, and hang out. And so um, I can't remember a thing. I don't know if this is, um, I'm 41, so for those of you that are older than me, you're like, just wait, it gets worse. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if that's an age thing, like where I just can't, I, I can't, nothing 
comes to mind. I can't picture the kitchen. I can't picture the living room. Nothing. And it frustrates me because, like I said, I just, I love this house. And I'm like, what was I, why was I not paying attention? And, um, but the thing about this is, is I remember the guys. I remember the buddies. I remember my friends. I remember the things we did. I remember, vividly remember, because I used to hang around this neighborhood a lot. I, I, I vividly remember we would walk, you know, those little guys, we would, we would walk to Squire's Barbershop, right, and get our crew cuts, looking high and tight, looking good. And then we would walk, for, we would walk to the jug and get cheeseburgers and, uh, you know, and root beer floats. And, um, yeah, I, I, can, I can remember all of those things, but I can't remember the inside of the house. Like, the house... The parts of the house, it's vanished. The cheeseburgers, the conversations, the friends, it's all there. And I know the reason why that is. It's not, this is not rocket science. And you, you, you of course, know the reason as well. It's like while architecture is cool, like it is, it's, it's a really neat, um, I find it fascinating now. Um, it's not, architecture is not what uh, the soul craves. Um, Friendship, deep connection with another person is the stuff of the soul. That's what your soul is craving, is friendship. Um, there's this like longing in your soul for friendship, not architecture, <laughs> although you might love architecture. And so friendship, if you have it, it shapes your soul. Friendship uh, shapes your worldview. Friendship, obviously... Um, yeah, it, it sets the course of your life, and of, and of course, friendship kind of does things to your memory. <laughs> it is, it creates your memories, and as you've already noticed throughout our service this morning, the book of Proverbs makes it abundantly clear that friendship is absolutely critical to a good life. Like, if you're going to have a good life, not just an ethical one, but a flourishing one, which those things are synonymous in the text, in, in the Bible, like, the friendship is a necessary thing for that to happen in the book of Proverbs. And so if you ignore friendship, if you diminish friendship, um, if you don't forge friendship, the thing about this is, is you'll, if you diminish friendship, you'll diminish. Your soul will diminish. Your life will diminish. You will not flourish as a human being. You'll actually deteriorate. There's this, um, Proverbs 27, verse 8 says, a person who strays from home is like a bird that strays from its nest. So that is sandwiched in a series of sayings on friendship, and you kind of have to understand how Hebrew poetry and things like this work, and I won't get into all of that. But the idea of home here means that, like, it's kind of talking about your place of thick embedded community and deep friendships. And, and so in a sense, it's just saying this. It's saying if you stray too far, too long from your thick embedded relationships, you'll be in serious danger like a little baby bird. You won't survive. You weren't meant to thrive that way. That's why one of the key core values of our church is being rooted in community. Because from what I can see in the Bible, from what the pastors can see in the scriptures, it's pretty clear. Like You, you can't thrive. You can't grow. You can't transform apart from being embedded in a place with a people. Now, by the way, Science is backing all of this as well. The scientific community is beginning to study the benefits and the consequences of 
social isolation and felt loneliness, and the evidence is really just overwhelming. And if I, would, if, if, if I was more, a guy that said, hey, let's be here for two hours, I would just inundate you with the data, but I'll just give you a little uh, a snippet of it. Anthropologist and psychologist Robin Dunbar studied and wrote a book on friendship after evaluating data. You might know him as the Dunbar number. You know, remember the guy that said you can only have 150 relationships? Um, but he goes on to eventually say, but you can only really have a few really key friendships. He wrote a whole book on friendship, and it's based on the scientific data. And here's just something from his work. Quote, friendship and loneliness are two sides of the same social coin, and we lurch through life from one to the other. What has surprised medical researchers over the last decade or so is just how dramatic the effects of having friendships actually are. Not just for our happiness, but also for our health, well-being, and even how long we live. We do not cope well with isolation. Perhaps the most surprising finding to emerge from the medical literature over the past two decades has been the evidence that the more friends we have, the less likely we are to fall prey to diseases and the longer we will live. They did a, Carnegie Mellon did a, university there, they did a study on college freshmen and they, they found that uh, the, they did a huge sample of college freshmen and they saw that those that reported feeling, having strong feelings of loneliness had consistently had lower immune systems. They consistently got sick more just because of loneliness, not their diets, not from how much they were partying. Loneliness. They were getting sick more often. What's going on here? Scientifically, they're figuring out things at the chemistry, like with, at, at a chemical level that we're in the presence of friendships and we're feeling understood and we're feeling connection, literally neurotransmitters are starting to move and hormones are starting to move around in places that it needs to happen for our flourishing. But the Bible, long time ago, <laughs> was claiming, well, look, friendship is just part of the human design. It's part of actually the way you were made and like kind of put together. You were built for friendship. You were built for friendship with God and you were built for friendship with other people. It's why when God looked at Adam in the beginning, in the garden, and he's saying, good, 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 and he's like, not good. You're not good by yourself. There's something about Adam that was not good. You need a friend, Adam. Which is fascinating when you think about it because he had God. Now, what does that tell you? For those, so that when you meet Christians that are like, well, I have God, that's all I need. Well... Um, it's not what Genesis said. It's really interesting. And if we're going to be wise, therefore, because this is a wisdom series, we, we, we need to recover this pattern, this design written in our DNA, and that we are people built for friendship. That's why the, this wisdom series is called Recovering Our Humanity. The biblical wisdom is always, is always honest um, about who we are and how we need to return to the way that we were originally designed. Wisdom is essentially looking to God and saying, God, you made me. Okay, so you made me, so how can I properly and best honor your patterns and your designs in which you put into me? And so in this case, essentially today's whole sermon, is just, I'm just trying to communicate this. God is saying to you, friendship will shape your life. It will shape your life. So don't overlook the necessity and the quality of them, 
all right? Friendship is going to shape your life. It has a shaping dynamic on you. So don't overlook them, pay attention to them, cherish them, notice the quality of them. You should give priority to them. And I'll just unpack that in two ways, that, that, that sentence really in two ways. First, let me just kind of look at what I mean when we talk about being overlooked. Don't overlook friendship. Because I, I think we can assume things about this too often as opposed to stopping and reflecting over for a moment. Look at these first set of Proverbs here. This is Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then it just kind of says this in another way, but many a, a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Okay, so when you look at them together, they're just saying this. Friendship is rare. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Friendship is just, it's not happening all the time, all around you. Some of you know that very well. Some of you might not. Some of you may think, oh, I'm friends with 100 people. No, you're not. Ask them and tell them to be honest with you. You're not friends with that many people. They're very rare. And so they're so rare, you should cherish them. They're precious. There's this throwaway line, man, at the beginning of one of my favorite books by Kate DiCamillo. Um, I just love the line, but it, it says this, and it kind of gets at what I'm trying to unpack here. But she says this when she kind of breaks the, the wall and talks to the reader all the time. But she says, reader, you must know that an interesting fate awaits almost everyone, mouse or man, who does not conform. Nonconformity, okay, <laughs> has always been a natural inclination of mine. Uh, it, it, was strong, it was a strong part of my childhood. It still is to this day. Some of you might be thinking, oh, it all makes sense now. Um, but it, and, and non being a nonconformist has, has proven to be a double-edged sword. This isn't, this isn't me bragging or anything. This is just me kind of saying, hey, like, as I look over my life, this has been a prominent theme of it, and it's been a double-edged sword. It's been a good thing, and it's been a source of some real trouble for me as well. My parents used to consistently say to me, we're not really worried about peer pressure with you. Um, you're just too stubbornly independent. You're not you don't listen to us, and you're not even going to listen to your friends. You don't listen to anybody. And so while it was true that I avoided bad pressures, at times, not always, but at times, I equally didn't always pick up the good kind of pressures <laughs> Um, and that just stubborn independence caused a lot of rule-breaking, too. Either way, my nonconformity has led to some interesting kinds of fate for me in my lifetime. I've noticed that. In college, that nonconformity led to a fascinating living arrangement, really every year that I was in college, but maybe for people viewing it <laughs> or watching it, um, probably no more so than, than my senior year of college. My living arrangement was quite different than maybe yours or the average was. Um, and so let me just tell you this, a little aside here. Anyone who tells you that college basketball and college football players aren't getting huge amounts of under-the-table perks um, and advantages are naive or lying to you. Uh, because I got to witness it. I lived with five of them. And... So you can imagine me um, getting dropped. I didn't have a car in college. So if you can imagine me getting, <laughs> this is real, 
real, and if, you, if you've seen pictures of me in college, this is even more pronounced. Um, but if you can imagine me getting dropped off at class uh, by my roommates, um, sitting in the back seat of a blacked out sedan with three or four guys who are six, eight, and listening to Wu-Tang. It's like, it makes me think and might make you think of like that, remember that Sesame Street song, uh, which one of these is not like the others? <laughs> that was me. Um, it was an interesting dynamic and it was an interesting friendship. I loved them and they loved me and we were vastly different. Um, I think we became friends honestly because I would see them at the, I was a soccer player in college, we did not get perks, okay? Um, but I used to see them at the rec and at the gym and I could care less about them or pay any attention to them and for whatever reason they came to me and said, you're living with us and I said, well, I need a place to live, so okay. And that's how it all happened. I learned two things though that year. One, true friendships, while they are rare, they come in totally unexpected forms um, as mine did in college. Initially, those guys and I had nothing in common. Um, they were from Toronto um, and they were from Jamaican heritage. Uh, so I learned how to cook and eat some interesting food. But with time, we ended up talking about failures. We ended up talking about family dynamics. We ended up talking about our dreams. We ended up talking about God. And so we ended up becoming deep friends. I've actually married one of them. As a pastor, just to be clear. <laughs> so I... I officiated the wedding. We were <laughs> I digress, sorry. The other, the other thing I learned is this. The other thing I learned is, um, and the greater point that I'm trying to make here, is most relationships are absolutely transactional, and that's okay. Like most of your relationships are transactional. Let's just be honest about that. The interesting thing, and the fast, I, I love this about Proverbs. Sometimes Proverbs isn't really prescribing anything to you. Sometimes Proverbs is just trying to say, do you see that this is how the world works? There's a pattern to it. And you should stop resisting the pattern so much. And so what I'm trying to say here is, is like there is like a, a, just a, a fact of reality that most relationships will be transactional. I have a contractor. We're not close buddies. I like him because he does good work. It's transactional. I pay him money. He builds stuff for me. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 20 says this, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Realize what the Proverbs is saying here. It's saying it's, this isn't a recommendation. This is a description of how the world works. You know, uh, here's a pattern in life. So by way of example, and the reason why I told you the, the story about my roommates is like, I, my roommates would come home on certain days, just random days. They would come home carrying, like this, not, you know, carrying armloads of brand new sneakers and designer clothing, right? Just armloads of this stuff. And I, of course, would be like, hey, man, we're broke. Where are you getting that stuff? And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, Rick. Rick took us to the mall and just bought us stuff. I'm like, first of all, who's Rick? Yeah. Second of all, why wasn't I invited? And, you know, 
the answer is obvious. It's like, well, you're not 6'8", and you can't dunk, and you're not on the basketball team. And it's like, they don't like soccer players? And so, they don't like soccer players. And it's like, well, they get perks. I don't. That's the reality. It was transactional. They weren't friends, but it was transactional. And I watched this stuff all the time. I watched people force themselves on these guys all the time. And I'd just watch. I'd be like, good luck. You're not going to make friends with them. You know? They're on to you. They know what you want. And that's how friendships, that's what makes them so beautiful, is you can't force it. It doesn't work that way. It was never friendship. It was always transactional with those guys. And so if you're not careful, transactional relationships, though, can take up the bulk of your life. And I think that that's where I'm trying to get at a little bit of a warning here, as well as just stating what is, should be obvious. Because if you do, if you don't pay attention, if you don't notice that all, man, wait, all of a sudden, you know, you wake up, you're, you're, you're at the mid-course of your life or where maybe further along than that even, and you look and you go, well, gosh, all, all I have is transactional relationships. That's all I have at this point. I haven't been paying close enough attention. In the novel, uh, The Nightingale, um, historical fiction book, Kristen Hanna wrote, she has a character that thinks this, quote, I always thought it was what I wanted, to be loved and admired. Now I think perhaps I'd like to be known. Now, personally, as I've aged, because I've experienced, like, I think when midlife hit me, I, I started to really start to experience, you know, loneliness. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I've not been good at this. You know? I, I had these really close friends in college, for instance. I don't talk to these guys anymore. What have I, what have I been paying attention to? And so I'm beginning to understand what that character is getting at. Nobody really knows me anymore. You see, the world does this thing to you. It's doing it to you all the time. And the world foolishly takes friendship for granted. It gets pushed off to the side. It's never really a priority for people when you think about it. Nobody ever says that. Nobody will ever say, I don't really value friendship. But when you look at their life, it's like, well, where is, where is it a priority for you? Look at us, just look, look at us plainly as a culture. What do we highlight? What do we write songs about? What do we write films about? Romance. Sex. Right? That's what moves the world. That's where the money flows. It's not friendship. It's like, why is Taylor Swift's dating life infiltrating my algorithms? <laughs> I'm not trolling her. I'm not. But we all know, you laugh because you know what I'm talking about. I don't watch football. I could care less who she's dating, right? But why is it in my feed? Because this is what our world loves. Sex, romance, not friendship, right? Your algorithms are not sending you pictures of who Taylor Swift's new best friend is. Nobody cares, but we do want to know who she's dating. Millions of people tune in to watch Bachelor, Bachelorette, Millions. It's, it's mind-boggling, right? No, not, we don't have a show called Who Will Be My Best Friend? <laughs> and if we did, no one would watch it. We don't care. That's not spicy, right? Like, it's not interesting. And by the way, the church is no better, is it? I mean, think about us as the church. Like, we create sermon series on marriage and family. We do not create sermon series on friendship. 
We have marriage conferences. We do not have friendship conferences. Not that I've ever seen, right? The church sometimes creates this subtle message within the community itself that marriage somehow promotes you to holier status in the church. It's silly. It's nowhere found in the Bible. And by the way, marriage and family, critically, vastly, hugely important. But so is friendship. And apart, based on my, uh, you know, just basic calculations, the book of Proverbs actually has more stuff written on friendship than marriage. <laughs> the wisdom literature is talking about this. So, you know, we just need to be careful and notice, oh yeah, this is happening. The, the, the messages coming at me are not oriented towards friendship. Proverbs addresses friendship so frequently because it not only recognizes the importance of it, but the temptation to overlook it. You look at our lives honestly, and you'll see it, right? You'll see it in all of us. Our hormones will drive us towards uh, sex and romance, and our egos will drive us towards LinkedIn. And that's where the bulk of our time goes. Connections for jobs, and people to date. But the thing about this is, what I'm trying to get at, is it's your soul, the, the, that, the, that mysterious divine thing that God has made, it's that your soul is not desiring, your soul does not hunger LinkedIn. Your soul hungers friendship. That's what your soul is craving. So the lesson in here is just, getting back to my quote, that I'm trying to say is don't conform to the world on this issue. Pay attention. Be a nonconformist when it comes to friendship. Embrace the design of your soul. I know that, and I don't want to, don't hear me wrong, I don't want, I know your heart and your hormones might want romance and family. That's, that, that's great. That's part also of the human design. Uh, I know your ego and your ambitions might now is in a phase where it wants a lot of acquaintances and connections uh, for career opportunities. That's fine. I get it. The, that, I'm not diminishing that. The, the Bible's fine with that. Just don't push friendship to the back seat. Like, oh, I'll get to that later. No, you won't. You'll actually die sooner. You'll die sooner. It's what it's, the literature is telling us. Now, let me unpack the other part of this thing, that, that it Friendship shapes you as well, okay? It's not just, don't, over, don't be the person that overlooks it, but also notice that it has this shaping quality to your life, this shaping power to your life. People think, I think all the time, I notice this about myself, people think that their life product, the, the thing that they're kind of putting out at this point, is the results of their own independent thinking. Not exactly. Now, Proverbs, and now the, like, the scientific research is catching up with this, is revealing to us that it's a much more nuanced picture. In actuality, it's more like your life, what you are right now, <laughs> the way you think, the way you dress, the way you talk, what you like, what you don't like, that product is not really the results of your independent thinking. It's actually the results of your friends. It's the people that you choose to hang around all the time. And you can, I mean, you know, you, you can, like, if you don't believe this, you can just go look up um, 
Harvard did a, a, a study called the Framington Heart Study. It was actually about heart research. And they studied a massive amount of people in, in Massachusetts uh, over the period from the 1970s all the way to the early aughts. And along with a bunch of things that they discovered in it, one of the things that they said was it became blindingly obvious from the data that happy people cluster together and unhappy people cluster together. You are a product of your friendships. They shape your entire life. So what's the quality of them? <laughs> what's happening in them? So the Proverbs knows the influence that friends have and actually gives a framework for intentional, transformative friends. Friends that can have this transforming, beautiful power in your life. Now, I'll just do this as quickly as I can, but I tried to boil it down to ways that you could, a way that you could remember. But good friends essentially do three amazing things for you, and I put it all in C's, okay, to make it memorable. But essentially, they critique, they comfort, and they're very careful. Sometimes friends will critique you. Sometimes friends will really comfort you. But it's their careful attention to your life, their careful attention to your soul that enables them to know the changing moments and how to deploy which one. What does the moment require? Friends can do that. And they're all right there in the passages that we read. So the beauty of a friend you see, is that they truly see you. They can, they can really speak in ways that cuts through all the pretense, right? Like, your friends know that what you post online is fabricated. Like, they know the real thing. And that's, that's good. That's beautiful. And so they have a way of speaking right through it. And so in other words, what friends can do is they essentially are holding up a mirror with the way that they approach and communicate with you. Like, it's like when you're in the presence of a friend, there's no escaping who, like the reality. This is, oh, this is who I am. And sometimes, hopefully, if they're a good friend, that means that, means that they are going to point out some of your faults and your foibles, some of the things that are a little bit embarrassing to you or challenging for you. Because the reality is this, friends, like, and I probably shouldn't use that word just now. <laughs> friends, I need to come up with a better word. But a person who never challenges your decision-making and like your perspective on life, a person that never challenges your self-image, a person that doesn't, isn't willing to say those kinds of uncomfortable, hard things, likely isn't a friend. They're probably someone in the transactional category. I know that's uncomfortable, but that's truth. There's probably, whether they're aware of it or not at a subconscious level, they're probably still feeding off of you in some way. They need something from you. So they're not a friend, they're a fan. But here's what's interesting. They, yes, they can critique, but they can do it in this way that's really balanced. They, they, they have this sensitive way and they, they're appropriately curated in their delivery. Because... Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 20 says this, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. So once again, this is not a prescription. This is, this is just a sad description. This is like a, this is a pattern of life. This, is just, this proverb is describing someone who is emotionally detached. Someone who you're in the presence of them and they say things and you're like, are you paying attention to a word? I, that, what are, where are you? 
The emotionally detached person. That's what this is describing. This is someone who doesn't understand you, someone that doesn't understand the contours of your story. They might lack wisdom in being emotionally tactful. A loving friend knows what the moment calls for. That's why we have these Proverbs speaking to different experiences. I'll just, I'll quote them again. This is uh, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then it says this in verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel or heartfelt counsel. When you see these back to back, you see both the critique and the comfort. That's what the author is doing. The friend's doing both. Both come from a friend. Sometimes you need a hug and an encouraging word, and sometimes you need a wounding truth because you have blind spots. It's like, hey man, this is gonna hurt, but I gotta tell you this. The true friend knows how to read you. They know the moment. They, they can surgically apply the right words or, or the right silence. Like, hey, this is a moment, I don't need to talk. This is the kind of presence that I think and I have found truly transforms you into the person you're meant to be. It's that kind of presence. It's because people don't, and I have found this to be also blindingly obvious in my own life and other people's lives, people don't tend to change for good until they first and foremost experience being fully understood. Until you feel like, oh, man, he gets me. Oh, she, she, she gets me. She so understands the good and the bad, the complexity, the story behind it, why. You don't change until you're understood. That's why we push groups on you. It has nothing to do it has zero, community has nothing to do with the metrics thing. I don't believe until you experience belonging, you're going to change. Until you feel the safety of being understood and still loved, you won't change. And this is the beauty and the power of what friendship is. But recognize this, and I like, didn't want to make a sermon about, here's how you be a better friend. Recognize this. These things, this critique and comfort and this carefulness the whole way through it all, like this is not something you, you and I, I know for me, we don't always do very well. <laughs> all too often, we hold back in truth-telling, right? Like it's like, I'm just not, this is gonna be uncomfortable. Sometimes we fail to show up when we should have. You know, we forgot or whatever. Sometimes we make a joke and it wasn't the right time. Sometimes we reassure people, we reassure, we jump in and reassure our friends as opposed to letting them wrestle with their conscience. You know, those are really like discernment issues that we struggle with sometimes. So if we're ever going to really cover, if we're going to recover the beauty of friendship, we need to recover the fact that they're always going to be flawed. <laughs> they're going to be a little not right. If we're, if, we're all, if, we're, if we're always free, I guess what I would say is this. If we're going to recover the real beauty of friendship, not only are they flawed, but you are free to walk away at any point from them. You're not bound in a friendship by a contract. You are not bound in a contract, or you're not bound by um, 
You're not a robot in a friendship. You're not, you're not bound by religious obligation. You are, you are free in any relationship that you have. You are free to hide. You are free to walk away. You are free to do whatever you want in it. You are not slaves. Friends are, true, are truly humans that are bound in freedom. That's what makes it friendship. Friendship are two people that are choosing to exist in this flawed relationship because it has this undercurrent of grace and love. Otherwise, it's not friendship. It's something else. If you remove the choice and the freedom aspect to it, you don't have friendship anymore. You've got something else. Now, this is precisely, right, precisely what makes Jesus' approach to the world so shocking. The approach that I think so many people don't understand. That he shapes you through forgiveness and friendship. Jesus is not shaping you through force, intimidation, and manipulation. Jesus says in John 15, 12 through 15, this, this, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now the word that Jesus uses here for servants is the word slave. So the creator of the universe comes down, gives up everything, gives up his life, not to make slaves, but to make friends. That means, therefore, think, think this out, because if, you, if you're church, you've read this verse, and you're like, oh, I love this verse, but think this out. That means that Jesus is dying for you because he loves you, and you are 100%, and he knows this, you are 100% free to walk away from him. You don't have to stick it out. You are free to ignore this. <laughs> you are free to be mad at him. You can choose your own adventure with Jesus. He freely lays it out in those terms. You can refuse his love. He dies anyway. It's not like these disciples, when they heard it, they got it. No, they still needed him to die. And so did I. So did you. That's the kind of God he is. Christians are not puppets who are coerced into obedience. That's not what a Christian is. We are free people. We are free people who choose willingly to lay ourselves down, to be sacrificial, to serve other people, not because we're coerced, but because we're known and we're loved. And that changed us. Slowly, gradually, it changed us. And there's a huge difference. And so I would just say this. If you stay with Jesus, if you remain in him, is the words he used, or abide might be your translation. If you stay, remain in Jesus, you will not see him failing you. You will see you failing him. He's aware of the deal. And he is aware of it. He knew who he was choosing. Stay with him anyway. 
And my guess would be this. He also knew that unmerited love and unmerited friendship would ultimately shape how you treat other people when they fail you. That's just my guess. It would change the way we interact in our friendships. And so I would just say this as we come to the table this morning, if any of this sparks the need for prayer with a pastor, I'll be in the prayer room over here off to the side with other pastors. It's good for us as people to make confessions if that is what you feel the need for this morning. It's good to ask questions. It's good to wrestle with another person who who might listen to you. Uh, We will do our best to listen to you if you're trying to work some of this stuff out. If you're not in need of that, simply take the time to examine yourself uh, before you come to the table this morning. Um, so this, is, this bread here points to Christ's body, broken for us. And this cup points and reminds us of his blood that has been shed for us. And in a moment, I would just ask for you to take, take the time that you need to pray through this, to think about this unmerited love, to think about the friendship that we have in Christ, to think about your own friendships, to think about your own failings and that we all carry and what, how we're dealing with it and what we need to offer up to Jesus this morning. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'm just super glad you're here. And if you want to ask questions or you want to pray for whatever it might be, we'll be in the side room. As opposed to taking part in communion, we would ask that you would do that instead. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, what you've reminded us of here in your word. We thank you that we have an opportunity to get together and reflect on this idea that you came down and you, you didn't make us slaves, you made us friends. And I admit that I'm still trying to really realize and unpack what that means in my own life, and I'm sure these uh, friends of mine are doing the same thing here. And so give us the power by your spirit to do it. Give us the power by your spirit to wrestle with uh, the ways that we're reserved, the ways that we're hiding, the ways that we're pushing ourselves on people, whatever it is, and and the different dynamics in our relationships, God. Only you know it. I certainly don't. And so help us to work through these things and help us to remember that you love us in a way that truly transforms us. And for that, I give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.